Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. So today we're really pleased to welcome along Drew. Drew's an organisational consultant and executive coach working for Adaptivist and Drew's involved in providing services services around team dynamics, organisational health and organisational intelligence. And I encountered Drew in the context of discussions about speaking up at work and some of the challenges that come with that. So really great to have you here today, Drew. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, that's a good intro. Thank you. Hi, Drew. Well, this is the first time we've met, so I'm very pleased and interested to find out uh, about you and your work. Thanks very much for coming along. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Drew, you, you've had one of the most um, multifaceted career paths of uh, many people we've had on the uh, podcast, more than most. Hmm. And you blended a career in IT with a training and psychotherapy and coaching. Was that, yeah. was that was that your plan when you set off after leaving school? The answer is no, not in the slightest. So um, definitely around IT, um, that is something that I moved into. the The real plan was um, after leaving school was to go into the police force, uh, and uh, that th- th- that was primarily a call because um, looking back, a whole number of Childhood experiences, uh, looking for uh, safety, integrity, protection, and um, I guess in a way that there, there was an element that used to continually crop up in my school report about more interested in others than it was than I was um, in doing the work. Um, so there, there was a sort of like early signs of a career path moving towards people. Um, it just so happened that I was good at IT or computing back then. You know, IT wasn't a word. It was all about computing, computing programming. Um, so that's really um, where my career started in IT. And uh, then, to, you know, to reinforce what you're saying there is that I, I moved into um, construction or I became an architectural technician. But the reason for that was about the IT CAD was becoming a thing as PCs were becoming a thing. Um, and I ended up working for a small firm of architects um, and uh, then ended up at the age of 23 working for Barclays Bank, um, running their ADCAM system across the, um, the, the entire UK. And uh, yeah, sort of like at the young age of 23, um, I hit uh, a particular level where I became um, second level manager, uh, managing an awful lot of infrastructure, uh, computers, and started uh, managing my team. But if I'm honest, um, looking back then, uh, I, I was more interested in people. So, uh, and, and for me, it was solving problems. And again, if I link that into... Um, the, the, you know, the, the idea of moving as a policeman or, in, you know, as a police officer, that would be about solving problems that uh, probably were, I wasn't really conscious of back then. But uh, I know an awful lot more in hindsight about me, my career and how I've ended up here. So if I can just backtrack a bit. To sure. Drew. So you went into the police. No, um, I didn't go into Well... <laughs> Right. You did so I went. So I actually went into the. I, I went into the RAF police. So um, why? Because I had to be uh, eighteen to be a police officer. So at the age of seventeen and a half, I qualified to be an RAF, RAF police officer. But I left very very soon after that due to a family trauma event. Um, right. So I decided to hmm, maybe looking after family was a a thing. So. I left the RF police um, within a very, very short period of time, a couple of weeks, uh, in basic training, and uh, then set a course for uh, working in IT. 
Right. So that's when you're you're working in computers kind of uh, really manifested it itself. Yeah. When you started yeah. work in the architects, is that right? Yes, yeah. And then into the bank. But by the time you got to the bank, at quite an early age, you were yeah. already managing a group of other people. Is that is that right? Yeah, it was a small team of three. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, there was a lot of responsibility. There was, there was a lot of expensive hardware and software that was responsible for a very, very complex IT system. Uh, and uh, mm. <laughs> we could go. We could go all sorts of places. But yeah, that that, that was that was my early stage career. Um, that, um, and I, I suppose what I do is add to that is that um, as my career developed in um, at, at the bank, um, I then got involved in change programs, which was about technology and people. Uh, and this idea of transition and transformation was something that, um, from a technology point of view, I was good at. Um, and when I realized about the people as well, I started realizing more and more that the idea of working with people, building out relationships, um, was something that I I enjoyed doing. I wasn't necessarily good at it then because youth was still very much on my uh, on my side. But it was something that um, definitely I started to find my niche. Okay, so you've said several times that you realised that you were interested in people. Um, can you say a bit more about that? What can you? It, try and put yourself back a bit and think about your your thinking process at that time you're working with a small group of of yeah. uh, colleagues yeah and i I, th I think that what it, there, there was there was a there was a period of time um or rather this was a period of time where i'd left uh, my family home my, my friends and family, because I didn't go to university, I, I went from, from school straight away into, 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 um, into work. And I, 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 what, what I became aware of um, then was the, the idea of connection and relating to people. And uh, because I moved, I was very, very isolated. Um, I even chose to live in an isolated way, so I'd choose the place to rent that was down a lane. Um, I was down a lane in a cottage um, in the middle of nowhere. So I was, I was young. Um, so in a way, I was isolating myself, but also when it comes to work, that it was through work that I could establish a human connection, a relationship. Um, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that intimate connection so for me um, I used work to form that relationship so I could start talking to them on a more one-to-one -one basis um, because I didn't have those possibly those early stage um, know-hows in relating um, so yeah uh, rather than being Drew uh, I was doing work that just so happened to be Drew doing it. Right yeah, that is very interesting, though, because, as you said, you didn't go to university, so you hadn't had the chance to form those uh, friendships and relationships yeah. that, that many people do. So you're having to construct something for yourself. But why psychotherapy? Because yeah. you could have chosen HR, <laughs> uh, for example, if you're interested. OK, all right. So let's let's uh, let's let's shift on a few years and uh, the career development. So. Um, it got to a point where, um, in my career, so we're talking um, in my 30s, um, that I ended up working for um, one of the top five consulting firms. Um, so there's, there's many of them. I'm not going to name it just in case um, the conversation progresses into other areas about speaking up, um, which I think is fair and right. Now, um, uh, whilst my career was developing, my home life was developing, and uh, I, I um, 
uh, became married, uh, had children. And um, working for one of these consultants is a very demanding career um, choice. And um, at a very, very similar time as my career was progressing, my relationship at home was deteriorating with, uh, with my first wife. And um, <laughs> I, I, I made a decision, and it was a conscious decision, that I need to do something for myself in my own time. And um, I found a, um, a, a college course um, that was a weekend course uh, which was uh, basically, um, well, it was titled Understanding Self, Self and Others in the World We Live In. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, didn't really know what I was doing, but the, the course title um, appealed to me. Um, and what I, when I found there um, was that um, I was introduced to this, uh, this modality of psychotherapy called transactional analysis. And I spent a, quite a long time in the first few um, uh, weekends, um, sort of like really trying to grapple with, you know, why am I here? Why are you lot there around me? Because there was a very, very diverse group of people, and it, this was uh, this was new territory for me. And um, was introduced to the concept of transactional analysis, and I was thinking, well, this is interesting um then then um basically it got to a particular course now a part of the course which was really transformative for me that took me on this pathway and it was the idea of um uh, life script um now transnationalities is, is the sort of like the narrative of, as a construct um which is a Made, made up of many life decisions uh, that we make as children that are given to us, um, which TA spends a lot of time talking about. And there was something in that that really resonated with me. I was thinking, wow, okay. Uh, and as I was learning about it, I was thinking about, yeah, I, I, I have a script um, that's been gifted to me from the family. Um, maybe, you know, maybe... Uh, part of the scripting I came up with is that you don't go to university, you work hard, um, and you you know you leave education because education is worthless. Um, it's all about working, and I was mm, um, it, it, it points. So th there was there was a really interest, and then there was this idea that was introduced, and it can be changed. I was like, oh, wow, I really want to know this. So the 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 um, the consequence of this. Um, you know, th th this very small course was that I ended up subscribing on a on, on an MSc um, in transactional analysis psychotherapy. Um, so it was what I realised that what I was doing then was um, looking back in life and uh, addressing some of my deficits, um, which took me onto that pathway. It's a bit of a story. It's the reality of how I ended up on, you know, a very, very distinct, separate path. Yeah, yeah. obviously it is a bit of a story, but uh, it's a very interesting uh, story because it's, as you were saying, it's about uh, yeah, transformation in your thinking and your approach to life, uh, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so what did you then do as a... Psychotherapist. Well, can I just can I just bet in there because I'm just thinking that that we're kind of like sidestepping an issue in that you know I think if I understand correctly, Drew, that your move into psychotherapy wasn't only about being attracted towards something that was pulling you magnetically towards it because it was appealing, but I think there was also there was dissatisfaction with what you were doing in terms of your current your, your workplace of the time. Is that is that right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. There, there was uh, the, 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 where I was working at the time. There was um, there was an awful lot of things going on around me, um, and um, I mean, if, if we think about these transitionary steps, you're either moving away from something or you're moving towards something, and there was definitely a moving away. From and I think that in this constant moving away, um, 
um, moving towards there was a, there was a position of moving away from some of my childhood experiences um, where it, it, it was talking respectfully to any family or friends that lead into this conversation that the, the, there was it was a quite a colorful childhood that I had that um, had a certain number of events which I didn't talk about um, wow and maybe still um, I, I can find sort of like elements of you know sort of like emotions attached to to, to this um, and I think that uh, even in my career um, uh, within financial services, I saw some things that weren't necessarily right, and I did speak out about them um, that um, were not necessarily, well, they, 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 there was wrongdoings that were happening there without getting caught up in slap. And I, I think that this particular point in my career as well, um, there was definitely uh, an event that I experienced um, that did try and talk about, um, did talk about, um, and that didn't go particularly well. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that if you want me to, um, Naomi. But there was there was an awful lot of um, Um, at the time where I was working through quite a lot of confusion about myself, you know, this idea of scripting and things and, and, and you know, this, this construct of not just personality, but sort of like the decisions that we can make on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Um, and, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I took a, a very, very distinct step um to move away from this this climate uh, and culture that wasn't particularly healthy for me wasn't healthy for my family um and um i i was definitely seeking something else which i think more and more um as i moved into my uh, my career as a, as a psychotherapist in training um and moving psycho into private practice that I found out more and more why I was moving away from that work, that workplace towards something that was uh, enriching and uh, all of those great things that uh, us working with people really, really want to do and achieve. Um, but, but obviously we do want to go back to what, what it was that wasn't working because yeah. Uh, obviously, with the podcast, we're really interested in organisational stuff that doesn't work well as well as what does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there was um, there was an event that um, my line manager made me aware of, which was um, an individual in the organisation that was. Um, sharing inappropriate images um, to our customers. Now, um, this was a very much new territory for us in the West. Um, it wasn't, it was, you know, the term that we would use today, we wouldn't necessarily have in everyday uh, vocabulary or narrative that we, that we do, do use. Um, and what this individual was doing was um, radicalizing um, other people of their religion um, and um, inciting um, resistance or um, other activities uh, against um, Western nations. So it was very much, uh, the images were very much um, targeted um, on uh, US activities over in uh, in the Middle East, in, in, in various, various territories. So um, I was aware of these images, I was aware of them being sent out, and I was asked to um, investigate the, the, the nature of the images and um, identify the source of these images. Now, at this point in time, I was responsible for 
a number of people um, involved in IT technology support and infrastructure, uh, which included end user computing uh, or PCs, laptops. And um, so uh, me and one of my team uh, came in and uh, started looking at uh, various devices and servers um, in the middle of the night um to, to 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 basically find out the the, the source of the data to, to actually give um credibility to the report uh that was made um anyway um we didn't find any of these images we didn't find any any source of these images to support the the, the investigation but what we did find um was um, a large number of files that were contained in zip files um, that um, so a zip file for anybody who's listening zip file is, is basically when you compress a load of files and data switch it all up and make it into one big file and you can package it off and send it to um, other people so we're talking about the period of um, post 9-11 uh, so that event had happened, and uh, these zip files that I found um, were deleted on the morning of 9-11 in the UK time. Um, which, um, at, that part, at that point in time, uh, me and my colleague, we froze. Uh, the files were called Islam, Islam 1, 2, and 3. Um, they're all deleted. Um, just after nine o'clock on the morning of 9-11, was, everything was time-stamped. And when we started looking inside these files, there was, there was clearly many, many, many uh, files uh, related to email communications with other people. Um, <clears throat> we didn't find a photo. So that was the arc. Um, anyway, the following morning, uh, my line manager, asked me what did we find and uh, he looked very relieved at what we did find sorry we didn't find and uh, then I started describing what I did find um, at which point I was asked to cease talking about such things um, other mechanisms were put in place um, which um, was um, uh, a, a, a strong invitation. So I didn't. I wasn't asked to sign an NDA. Um, however, what what was what was shared was um, a disciplinary. So, so you were you were threatened with a disciplinary. Oh no! I was given, I was given a last and final written warning uh, that included uh, being raided. Oh my goodness. So, um, in in a way that um, you know, we learn as children about whether it's okay to talk about things or not talk about things. There was a, there was there was a very much a, a thing for me to say. It's it's not safe to talk. Um, not necessary. My uh, well, not my case. Not necessary. Definitely not my finest decision in so many ways um, but yeah it, it, it's what happened but you spoke up Drew and you took the evidence to your manager and he didn't want to hear it so he began a process so at that point the, 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 the real reality is that um, on a moment by moment I was asked to leave the room uh, other people of more senior authority were involved in the conversation. The net result was me coming back in the room with uh, human resources there, and uh, a a decision was made to uh, present me with a letter. Sounds quite shocking, and you can see that it's painful um, talking about it even now, kind of like all these years, years on, and. I suppose, you know, just feel a little bit like we're set up by your manager in a way, you know, that actually your manager had set you on this task of looking at 
looking at what was held on people's computers, but then when you find something, you're punished for it. Yeah, I, I think that... I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So um, I, I think that organisationally, um, we weren't aware of the magnitude of events, even post 9-11, we weren't aware of the magnitude of the, the, the sort of the scale of people involved in such things. You know, how could somebody be involved in this location, in this organisation, in such a, a you know a uh, international event, a global event uh, that was obviously localized at the time in the US. So I, I think a lot of people, uh, myself included, um, didn't really couldn't comprehend what was actually happening. And I mean, the, the idea of radicalization wasn't a thing. Um, I think in many people's minds, it was just like an inappropriate image. Um, the I mean, I, I know the content of the files with regards to where they were being communicated with in a geographical location. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know names, but I know where they were. Um, and I know what they were um, potentially doing, because again, it wasn't further investigated. So in many ways, what I'm talking about is circumstantial. You know, it's just a I'll call this language. I'm on the rest of it. So, I, you know, I'm looking back and I'm probably giving them an awful lot. Of, you know, the decision making process around me and the organisation around me and the culture, a lot of gift in what happened there. Um, was it shocking? It was incredibly confusing. Um, being compliant. And down to you know which is related to this culture that you know it's an upper royal culture you come in you work hard you don't necessarily argue with it there's, there's a high degree of sacrifice in these consulting firms you know we used to joke, joke about giving up your soul and things and I, I i know now looking back that i was signing away a large part of my soul in um what happened there because you know that that sort of spirit of me was closed down and suppressed we don't talk about these things right um so yeah it was it was it was shocking um looking back i think i'm more shocked now um as i've lived through each anniversary around 9 11 where i'm reminded of this event um, any any conflict that involves um, different nations, different uh, groups of individuals, the tribes of individuals that identify under a particular name, um, it stimulates me. Um, yeah, even 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 right now with uh, with Palestine and Gaza, sorry, uh, with Gaza um, and Israel kicking off, and everything that's happened there, I'm reminded how um, events so far away can be connected to individuals locally. Um, so it's, it's still there uh, of varying degrees. And I think, you know, going back to know, uh, to yourself, Naomi, is it's one of the things that uh, when I saw your post on LinkedIn around speaking out, around the idea of trauma and healing around speaking out, um, what you posted and what you post resonates with me. Um, but I, you know, I don't identify as a whistleblower. Fact. Um, that, yeah, that's what I choose. That's what I choose. That's how I choose to frame, you know, these, these particular events. Um, well, I think a couple of things there in relation to what you're saying, because I think the, the term, I think whistleblower can be a bit misleading and I, I because I think it implies that people have gone external to an organisation. And in fact, I think, you know, the majority of people, it's about speaking up in their organisation yeah. um, or going to the external regulator. But most people don't. I think when you think of whistleblower, people think, oh, this is somebody who's gone to the press. They've grassed up, you know, an organisation publicly. That isn't what happens. People typically 
escalate things to their manager. They escalate them within the organization. They reach the top of where they can go. They go to the, the regulator. Still, they get no joy. And then sometimes some of those people will then go more public than that. But the vast majority of, of people that I've encountered who've experienced recrimination, they've experienced it because they've spoken up within their own organization and they've just been doing their job. Um, yeah. And yeah. but I mean, we've we've obviously we've interviewed a couple of people whose cases have been quite public because they uh, Eileen Chubb and um Peter Duffy because they went to court uh, to to tribunal um, or court over their their cases but actually I think you we can see that you're you know there's still pain there for you talking about your experience now even though that was all kept within the organization as I as I understand it you know that that wasn't risk-free for you was it to to not go to court to not go to a regulator to not go to the press that's that looks like that's not being pain-free yeah I, I I'm laughing here um and none of this is funny right um I think there's a, there's a high degree of gallows humor here and I think that oh I mean I did go externally, so um, and this this you know this this will further re, re, reinforce or reaffirm what I'm saying here that this everything was really quite new. Um, so um, even after receiving my um, my notice of um, disciplinary, um, I still took a decision to um, speak to the local counter-terrorism officer um, and um, we we had a two conversations from memory um, and even he took a position with me to say well look you know if you can lose your job then maybe maybe we don't uh, push this too hard because I, I was looking for I was still looking for this this thing that wasn't sitting right up in me or on me, it's just like I'm not comfortable with with this. And um, in some ways, his response, um, yeah, um, left me with a maybe it's okay. Maybe 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 it's just something and a nothing. You know, he, he didn't want to push it. I didn't want to leak it. Um, and after the, the, the second conversation with him, uh, where they didn't push it or invite me to go back and rethink about it. Um, I, I ended up you know, in this position that I just described. So I, you know, for, for, from a full transparency point of view, I did go externally, but it was only there. I didn't push it anymore. Um, and um, it, it has left a mark and you're absolutely right because from that, as I moved into uh, my career path um, into psychotherapy, I became very, very interested in the nature of disclosure. It, it, you know, in a relational context, and uh, especially when the disclosure in relation to families or partners or communities or work, um, I became really nature uh, very interested in that, and you know, this this is a passion. What I do now is that nature of disclosure in an organization um, and where there can be systems in organizations that can suppress knowledge, data, and, you know, basically uh, incubate harm as a system, as a construct. So I, I have become um, very interested in, in this and the reason why even now I'm talking to you, this, this is, you know, this is a, I wouldn't say a passion project of mine, it's very much a purposeful project of mine. I, I, I can't unforget all those conversations I've had, here we go, you know, on a one-to-one -one relational basis where disclosures happen, but also when the more and more that I've looked into organizations and the nature of disclosure, the nature of sharing insights, or experience um, that either events that are associated with self or as an observer, 
um, a bystander or however you want to you know frame it you know a witness I don't like these terms really because you know we've got to humanize it you know they, they, we're, we're watching humans interact with each other and we're noticing events that either are happening between others or between self and other um and kind of I, getting at moral injury, aren't you? And the, you know the moral injury of, of oh, see, having this information. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I think so. And again, people listen to that and twist it. Oh God, you know what makes you, you know what makes your moral compass better than mine? And you know, with all of this, you know, the, uh, speaking out about things, there's a lot of confusion and manipulation. Uh, and again, sorry if I'm you know not rejecting what you're saying. I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I've, I've had it. I've been part of it, and going, yeah, true. You know, what makes you, yeah, like I said, what makes you think your moral compass is better than mine? And well, well, I wasn't, it wasn't implying that. I was thinking, I was thinking more about the fact that you know, one of the things that, one of the things that gets said is, you know, people look back over when they have spoken up, and people talk about feeling you know that they could kind of even if sometimes they couldn't see the flack they were going to cop for but even if they could they're saying I still would have felt compelled to speak up and act because the guilt of not speaking up would have out what in terms of the cost to your own personal integrity would have been far more painful to bear even though they've faced these awful retaliatory uh, consequences as you know as a result of of speaking yeah. up so that i suppose that's what i'm getting at not that you're yeah, no, I, not I that it. you're no, I, I claiming moral superiority no i i'm i'm introducing the third person that's standing over there going the the that the, the is the uh the protagonist or the, the the rejecter of what you know what a whistleblower is or what these people are doing it, it, you know in my regard going back to this incident i did exactly what was asked um and i i i <laughs> I, I remember distinctly at what point the the the, the narrative twisted to say through your whistle. Sorry, you're not whistle. That wasn't a thing. You you you're racist, and um, because what I did was identify and sort of I, I laid out this this sort of like circumstantial case and said because of all of this, I think or I believe um, I think there's value in in in, in investigating. So I did. Um, looking back, I, I did push the envelope a little bit, but you know what I didn't realise that I was skating out on thin ice and fell through. Um, and like many other people that have spoken out and had these experiences, that you know they're either going back at their life in the workplace um, and end up, uh, you know, in the real sense, the victim of perpetrators in. The workplace that make advances do wrong things whether it's bullying whether it's sexual harassment or you know the the, the, the real higher degree escalated thing uh, but for me i was doing my job um i did what i asked and i'm sharing the information and I'm, I'm i'm standing up as a responsible human adult um and and leader and thinking of thinking about what was happening uh and what i was seeing and closed down and it, yeah, it, it is. It's it, it, yeah. it, a very, very confusing event. The thing that strikes me most forcefully, I think, from what you're describing, well, there are two things, actually. One, you are holding what sounds to me terrifying information. Um, and that may be uh, a retrospective you know, judgment looking back for 20-odd years to 9-11. But it sounds scary to me but the the other thing is to do with breach of trust you 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 were working in a company and you were betrayed by them how did you repair yourself from that i'm looking away because i think Uh, I, I've, I've spoken about it in my own therapy. I've spoken about it with other people in the same way that I've spoken through previously with yourself, I mean, as a quick introduction. Um, I don't think, I don't think when this happens that 
the healing actually does complete. I'm sure that there are people that have. Um, I, I think for me, as I was saying, is that generally I'm healed, but then there's these other events, like anniversaries and the reminders that is triggering. Um, and uh, I, uh, you know, as, as you said, it was terrifying. I was terrified. Um, I did feel betrayed um, in many regards, but also looking back, there is a deep, there is a deep sense of shame, and guilt, and a sense that I have betrayed others. Um, and <laughs> that, that that is that is, that is a uh, something that I generally accepted that I have to, you know, I well, not I have to. I I, I have already. I, I I've I've learned that it's not necessarily going to go away after all these years. Um, I live in hope. Um, and it's one of those things I think that maybe uh, at certain other people you, you, you don't necessarily want to forget um, either. It's, it's uh, you know, how, how can I, um, how can one heal um, fully um, around such things when you know there is that shame guilt and that, that burden and sense of betrayal um, really it's, it, it is that constant reminder and maybe that how us as a human construct that actually that's what it's all about you, you know you, you, you live on the expense um, and uh, you know you, you, you've got a, you, you've got reminders um, which are good you know you know and again one of the reasons why I'm sitting here today talking like this is to say Anybody that what I'm saying it resonates with you, you're not alone. Um, and um, uh, hopefully, that there are other individuals that may learn about this conversation or listen to this conversation and make a different choice to go, okay, um, if I'm presented with data that I feel discomfort and want to disassociate from, then I'm going to make a more concerted effort to remain human, think about human as a consequence rather than going it's a dehumanized decision let's go for a legal response let's go for a hr response or let's go for um any other response that shut up right we don't talk about things right i think that's i think that's a really important observation because i think people often do kind of assume that if they go down a legal route or some policy procedural route that that's somehow something rational and reasonable will happen the common sense will prevail and and that can be that can be disheartening for people i think when they find that actually that isn't what happens you know um common sense often doesn't prevail um so actually there's something about how you preserve your own integrity as a person in all of this because ultimately that's the only thing you've really got to rely on but i was i was curious when you said you felt you'd betrayed people who who you felt you betrayed yeah um so the um the firm that i worked for they did lose individuals in nine eleven. uh <clears throat> and obviously there was the uh the the, the the you know the, the, the massive loss of life and the family impacting that mm -hmm. um, so you know there, there's not one part of me that you know thinks that I could have made any difference to that to those events um, um, I I think that in in many regards it's the idea of this individual actually being definitely connected to such events and um, uh, more active um, around that event and also active afterwards. Yeah, the, the, that person didn't go away with the event that, you know, that there that they were still out there. Um, so I think that the, the, the sort of betrayal falls into that category of, of, of actually you know um what's 
other things happened afterwards that you know we don't know where so there's a, there's a certain amount of um, imagination that goes along with this in, in sort of like where where we can start sort of especially as news broke through and reports and it, you know there was more information about how big this is and it's just like you know i in a way i've colluded with the system you know you know and, and again this is why i really became really interested in the nature of disclosure and how organizations um um can support harm perpetuating an organization because everyone colludes um we we, we 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 don't look at we don't look at we don't speak out um and that, that can be just a, a minor aggression or a microaggression in an organization that we just ignore, we let it go. Oh, it's a new joke. Um, but actually, to that person receiving that or that, it really hurts. I think, as humans, we, we just ignore it. We switch off to it. Um, I think it's so, true, but I think it's quite hard to hear you saying you, you colluded with the organisation in the sense of actually you did try and, and take some action. And I think there is this idea, you know, this idea that people who speak up are just truculent troublemakers, um, when in fact, you know, an awful lot of people have been speaking up about really serious matters where we are literally talking about life and death or real you know risks to someone someone else's physical integrity so it does come with this awful sense of response you know people who speak up the research suggests they're not troublemakers far from it but they're people who have an awful carry an awful lot of responsibility that sense of being conscientious and wanting wanting to do right so you know you can see how how painful it is for you even all this time on and I think that's one of the problems is that when people don't get a satisfactory response to when organizations seem to be more concerned with reputational management um, and don't actually realize that actually good reputation might be about being open to knowing that no organization can be perfect and actually it's far better to be open to having discussions about the imperfections than it is to cover up and certainly you know a colleague of mine was was um, suffered recrimination after raising concerns that an officer had, a prison officer had encouraged a prisoner to eat his own excrement. Um, and, and in fact, you know, the, the prison officer may not have done that, but actually the prison's inability to investigate it left, you know, leaves a, a sense of lack of assurance and reassurance that actually it's a safe safe environment and and actually the officer who was highlighted as being potentially having done this it would have been better for his reputation to have been investigated and found not guilty yeah. um yeah. and obviously if he was guilty it would have been better to for him not to be there sure sure and it's it's a very it's just, you know, I find this one of you know one of these things that is, is complex. It is really simple. You know, the way you just described it there, that that's really quite simple. It's, it's obvious, right? That you know, um, it's, it, it helps the individual clear their reputation. Um, it helps instill trust in the organisation that actually we are a caring, responsive organisation, and that's that's the right thing to do because the the when we're you know. We've got a duty of care to the you know the stakeholders, the um, the individual, and the, you know when these things come through, what what happens is that there is um, a collapse of that 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 fabric and construct of good, healthy you know what can be a great and healthy construct that's part of culture, part of the climate. You know, um, whenever I um, speak to people, I, I always talk about culture and climate in an organisation. Um, you know, the, the, the culture for me is something that's more solid and uh, less susceptible to change, whereas climate is that on that individual that happens at the relationship level that manifests and perpetuates out uh, and just really impacts people more readily, more easily. Um, and like the weather changes, uh, the climate changes as well in an organisation. Storms blow over, or you know, the you know, relationship can be a little bit stormy. And I, I think that um, 
I, I just I just really hope that things change and I think that mm, in the advent and I know that I'm shifting the conversation a little bit but you know with the advent of all this digital technology social media and the digitization that thing you know relationships are becoming more complex um, in organizations um, people could becoming more disconnected um and such a thing i think is if you're going to have less connectedness where you can share data then i think that um if, if things are just going to get worse uh and i you know i i, I don't you know as a, as a father of uh, my children um i really hope that there is that change because it's needed well, moving on because I think you're you're right. We in terms of time, we 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 have we haven't got much longer left. But I, I suppose it, the point that you've just made just bring me to something that I've heard you talk about a bit, which in terms of the concept of of physis, and I wondered whether you could explain what that is for. Uh, so for me, that was a new word when I when I heard you talk about it, and that, but actually, yes, it really resonated. So. I wondered if you could explain a bit about what that is. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So, um, in my foundational years, uh, well, sorry, my foundation year of uh, psychotherapy uh, training. Um, so, this is the year that um, you start learning about some of the basic concepts before you move into clinical training. Um, the this concept of feistes was. Um, uh, I shared on the last weekend of, uh, of my foundation, of course, and you know, the, 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 the foundation weekend is the Saturday and the Sunday, and we got to the, 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 the Sunday morning, and uh, uh, Adrienne, that was uh, teaching me um, and the group, she introduced a very, in a very, very serious way this concept of fighting. And uh, then she, she, she sort of like wrote it up on the door and sort of drew this. this this vertical line with an arrow, and uh, she introduced this term Pisces. Like, oh, what's that then? Um, and then uh, described it as spirit. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, I, 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 and I did really protest um, because I hadn't subscribed to something that was maybe religious, or maybe that was connected with other things that had gone on before that. Um, just like, oh, well, you know, Drew, just just calm down and you know, just settle down. I explained, and you know, then she explained the this this energy system um, that is called Phytes, and uh, explained it to be life force um, was expressed and shared. And I was like, right, I'll sign on to that. I'll just, I will subscribe to this this idea of of life force. Uh, or energy which um, manifests itself in the way that we physically present in the world, um, how we communicate, how we talk and and and, and relate. And for me, uh, the more and more I learn about this 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 relational psychodynamic, you know, psychotherapy and psychology. Um, I became very, very acutely aware that you know the, the, this this idea of feisties is really about growth um, in who we are. This this bound or unbound energy system um, that I'm going to introduce another word. You might say, "What's that then?" You know, in TA terms, we talk about consensus, um, which is more about the the, 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 the neurological uh, construct in the brain that. Maybe there is an awful lot of energy that's um, uh, tied up and not being able to express. And obviously, this is what we're talking about in some way, about this not being able to speak about things, you know, that you, your experience or your feelings or your thoughts uh, or even your hopes. Probably, you know, we, we don't talk about hope. You just get on with life. You don't hope for anything, right? Maybe I'm talking about, you know, sort of like echoes from my childhood or something. You know, can't hope for that for Christmas or, or whatever. Uh, that's really selfish to have these these thoughts. So um, I I became really passionate about um, 
energy systems between people. Um, and again, going back to my psychotherapy and how I would be using it is that um, this this idea of potency uh, that uses Pisces. So I start joining up all these little facets of, of theory and going, well, actually, as a practitioner, I I either rein in my Pisces or my engagement, but you know, it's 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 really aware of your 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 energy system, um, and 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 using that to create positive shape of change. Yeah, again, yeah, I'm using my Pisces here to be able to present to you and avoid, you know, sort of like distant um, uh, past events and things that still manifest, still cause hurt, whether it is sitting there, causes my eye to maybe uh, well up a little bit. So, yeah, that, that's me with Pisces. We can keep on going a little bit, but again, how much time do we get? So, um, yeah, energy systems that sit in people. Thank that, you. Uh, repressed or expressed. Thank you. And I'll let David take over from there because I've hogged a lot of the conversation. <laughs> David, where do you want to go? Oh, you're on mute. Sorry, I'm unmuting myself. Um, yes, Drew, you've given us some very um, honest and thoughtful answers, responses uh, today. And it makes me wonder, really, how you look after yourself, because you made this shift into psychotherapy and then counselling. Still very challenging occupations. How do you look after yourself and what sort of advice would you give to others? Right. Um, so... Again, I'm going to be honest uh, right now. So, in my training to be psychotherapist, you know, to be a psychotherapist, uh, embarked on four years of psychotherapy, and uh, I approached that in the way that it was asked for. It's part of your training, right? So, um, I engaged in that as a process, as a journey, um, and I spent an awful lot of time going, "Okay, so what are we doing here? What, what techniques being used? What interventions being used?" How do you diagnose that then? I really avoided the idea of looking after self. So I, I tried to set that for a very, very long time. Uh, I rationalized it myself, you know, a little bit of tricky thought, thinking, so well, I'm here because it's because it's asked of me as part of my training, not nothing to do with me. Um, <laughs> and um, because I like to engage with things as you can possibly start hearing and learning about me. Uh, Actually, I'm going to go and do some proper psychoanalytic uh, uh, therapy, get some of that then. And uh, when I met uh, a psychoanalyst, um, and uh, I think it was about the second or third session, and I said, So, do you, you know, in, in your modality, you, you talk about uh, patients? And I said, So, do you see me as a patient? And he's like, Yes. And I was like, So, you see me as ill then? He's like, mm, Yes. And I was like, Anyway, that, that relationship didn't last much long after that because I, I avoided it. So what I'm saying here is that I spent a long time in my in my life not looking after myself. It was um, very absent um, for the record. Um, with all of my therapy, uh, sorry, the therapy that I offered, um, always went to supervision. Ethical practice was really... Uh, important to me, Naomi, you know this about me. Uh, and it was about boundaries. So I was very conscious of my own process in, in that. Uh, but also, was I looking after myself back then? No. Um, I'm going to say this I'm still learning to look after myself. Um, it doesn't come easy. Um, there's, uh, and again, the more um, there was a particular point in my life which was really difficult, um, where again I was betrayed in a business type thing, and Naomi, you know about this as well, where uh, something took somebody took something from me that I'd invested in and uh, decided to make it their own, um, and that 
did unlock a spiral for me. Uh, and I went back into therapy for me, my hurt, my trauma, my past. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in, in real honesty, uh, a number of years afterwards, I'm, I'm still learning. Um, so to answer your question fully, how do I look after myself? Um, I relate like this. I talk about things like this. My expression is part of my self-care. Um, it's the first time I've gone on like a public record talking about the things that I've done, you know, privately, I, I've learned to speak about things like this. So that's, that's good, um, bringing whole self into conversation, um, talking about real things, um, I feel um, is is good for me. Um, as hard as it is, takes a lot of strength to sit here, grounded, still grounded. Um, and... Yeah, learning to relate from me. Um, that includes going swimming, uh, exercise, uh, <laughs> loving my dog, uh, loving my children. Um, and really, um, any, any, any fan, uh, finding sense of purpose from such things, uh, that, um is is rewarding to me um to my career uh, and hopefully that that will manifest itself into um some form of recognition and value you know financially from a business point of view um which again uh is is important to you know to achieve value uh, i um, in, in a way, the expression of self-care is driving me in my career that I'm doing now is, is to um, find better ways of um, creating better um, relationships and organizations, um, better leadership, awareness, responses um, that can impact many, many people. Uh, I don't think it's as simple as reading a book or just going for a walk, you know, I mean, for me, um, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, it, it wouldn't suffice. Um, so I do, I, do, I, do, I do my best to switch off, but uh, as, as, as Naomi knows as well, that um, once the, because the door's open to it, that this, this thing is just about managing how much investment I put into such conversations, uh, it, such narratives. It sounds, Drew, as if it's uh, an ongoing process for you and you're thoughtful, uh, reflective and always striving to be honest with yourself and about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just for the record as well, I'm not a perfect individual. I haven't always got things right. Um, I, you know, looking back, I have got things wrong. Uh, I haven't been the best version myself. Um, but we, uh, I um, uh, feel it's the right thing to do in so many ways. True. I think you don't need to put on record that you're not perfect because none of us are. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. I mean, it, it, so I think the interesting thing with all of this is that when um, we become the sort of the disruption of the organisation, there, there are the participants or the, the resistors that go, oh, yeah. And it's like that, you know, who do you think you are type thing? Uh, or what makes you better? Or, or you know, why you? Why your why you're magic source in, you know, in how you're going to be working with us? Um, there's... I think that has to be a reality of it as the as the whole self. Um deploying yourself in a professional practice um practitioner that also is pioneering, seeking to do something that is different. Um, which again is one of the reasons why I'm 
I'm talking to both of you is that I see that in you in that many of the, um, the recordings that you have are very pioneering um, professional practitioners in what you're doing as well. So um, if I didn't see that in you, I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, I, have to, I have to be honest about myself, for me. Thank you, Drew. I really appreciate the amount of honesty you have brought to today's conversation. It's been very powerful. Um, but we have come to the end of time. Thank you so much for, for giving us so much time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, having me here. Thank you, Drew.